What's going on, guys? Kieran Headley here from the Pocket Coach Podcast. So I'm here today with a man who has actually had quite a bit of influence in my own life around uh, diving into breathing, diving into the cold, and really challenging myself in a disciplinary sense. So I'm really excited to actually uh, speak with this man. He's a life coach, a healer, has spent over eight years living and working with indigenous tribes in the Amazon. He's done some incredible things. He's studied in Vipassana meditation and Ashtanga yoga from, uh, I believe it was 1999 as well. And is lectured and taught globally, helped thousands of people, has fantastic programs that are incredibly deep and, um, and assisting in people elevating themselves. And this man is officially the certified health nut, Troy Casey. So without further ado, I'd love to introduce Troy. Hello, mate. How are you? Yeah, yeah, baby. I'm, I'm excited to be here. And uh, I'm excited to be alive. <laughs> yeah, me too, mate. Me too. Uh, so what I'd love to dive into straight away is you've lived a very interesting and diverse life from, I believe, there was, um, like, um, was drugs, and, uh, drugs, alcohol, uh, you've gone through a divorce, and you've really come out the other side to a place where, although you're riding the waves, you're helping so many people do that too. It's so beautiful to see. So do you mind actually speaking a little bit about your journey earlier on as to some pinnacle moments of struggle, of things that uh, were in your life that held you back, uh, brought you down, uh, brought suffering into your life, and as to why there were such pinnacle moments for you and your growing and your learning? Yeah, well, thanks so much for having me and let me share. Um, yeah, my parents were hippies, so I grew up in the Haight-Ashbury when I was very small in the summer of love, 1967, uh, Haight-Ashbury District, San Francisco. So they were hippies, flower children, so they, you know, we always kind of fought different in the first place. Uh, we were part of that whole, you know, cultural revolution. Then, um, um, you know, my parents got into a little bit of trouble, and I ended up on my own when I was 14, um, living in abandoned houses, churches, wherever I could, you know, rest my head, really friends' houses. Uh, and then uh, I spent some time incarcerated as a youth before I turned 18. Uh, I got in some trouble of my own. And then, uh, you know, got out, put myself through school um, and uh, started modeling. Uh, I had an opportunity to go move to Italy and start modeling. And I became a Versace model. And I got really pretty heavily into the drinking and drugs in that industry because it was so prevalent and available. Um, and so, uh, and I had a bit of a rock star phase as a Versace model. I, I, uh, you know, would travel and party everywhere. And, and, uh, and eventually my friends just told me you were wasting, I was wasting my potential. And I, I hadn't really done most of my, you know, mental and emotional work or, or really begun that. And uh, my brother always told me that, you know, you got to do that once you sober up and you kind of got to go after your, the machinations of your own mind. And so I, st I uh, tried to sober up for about four and a half years in and out of AA and, um, um, you know, just trying to really sober up and sober up my life. It was Vipassana meditation that really set me free wow. uh, and really went in there and, and did a mental lobotomy on me. 
And, uh, and then I ended up sitting 11 of those courses over, the, uh, over six years and meditating two hours a day. At the same time, I started studying with Maori healers from New Zealand. Really? And these were very powerful spiritual healers. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know if you knew that part of the story. No, and... I did not. This is significant. I'm loving this. <laughs> right. So I've been working with Papa Joe and Atarangi Muru and uh, uh, many of their other elders uh, for 20, almost 23 years. Had my own spiritual awakening and uh, uh, I've witnessed many exorcisms and um, I watched them heal many, many, many sick people and people that needed to get pregnant and wanted to and doctors said they would never get pregnant. And I just witnessed miracles upon miracles wow. with them and a lot of my own healing I did in the City of Angels. You know, L.A.'s got a lot of darkness, but wherever there's light, there is darkness. And L.A. was a healing community for me. So I stayed there for about 25 years, and I really learned and was able to put a lot of my studies. When I started modeling, I had to look into my nutrition because I had digestive issues, and it would show up on my face, and it would affect my work. So I got into nutrition and fasting early on, and then as I cleaned up my life, I got into meditation and yoga and then started working with indigenous healers. And then somebody turned me on to an herbal company in the Amazon in 2005. Loved that, loved the plants. I'd been studying herbology and, and plant medicine and fasting and utilizing plants to clean my liver and kidneys and colon for you know about 15 or 20 years before that. So when the Amazon Herb Company came, I jumped in head first, became very successful in the company, researched the plants, filmed a lot of the shamans that I was working with and interviews for the plants and, uh, and drank ayahuasca, uh, the psychedelic brew, the most powerful herbal medicine on the mm -hmm. earth, uh, and really had a big wake-up call. I had three very profound visions. One was a, a, an amalgamation of my on-camera career. I was doing stand-up comedy and television commercials wow, at that. the time. And, 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 and an amalgamation of my natural medicine studies, on-camera career, and stand-up comedy, Certified Health Nut was born. So that was my first vision. My second vision was the spirit of my daughter that came to me. I was not married at the time. And I had to go home and, you know, interview the girls that I was involved with to see if anyone was open for marriage. And nobody was. It was funny. And I ended up finding my wife. And that vision has been unfolding ever since. My son is... 13 now, and my daughter is nine. I brought them both back to the Amazon uh, as well. And then uh, the final vision is that humanity makes it. And at the time I was working in the Amazon, I, I understood all the global statistics on uh, the importance of the rainforest, biodiversity, uh, ecosystems. And so um, I came home, put a lot of my footage on the internet. We were called the solution to saving the rainforest by the Cousteau Society. Um, and I really put my best foot forward. And people cared to a certain degree, but ultimately people never, they can't really give a shit that much because they're too stressed out. They got to drive to work. They're shoveling, you know, the American food garbage that we have here. The commercial mm. food supply is, is tainted with pesticides and herbicides. And so people are fat, sick, and overwhelmed. And they got to hustle because the economy keeps shifting, especially 2008, that big shift, you know, that they bailed out the banks. So... So my point is, is that uh, I put this footage up to save the rainforest and really raise awareness, and I saw that I was limited. So my mentors, my yeah. business mentors, told me, you can't save the world. You have to chunk it down. 
So my, I was approaching 50. I had this idea, understanding marketing. Six-pack abs is super important. It represents sex. Sex sells is never going away on the internet or any media that's out there. So I was like, okay, ripped at 50. And then let me tie that all together. So the ripped at 50 is to meet the executives, the ad executives, the right. entertainment executives, the people that are shaping culture and society and also the politicians, the lawyers, attorneys, doctors that have the divorces. They, they have the mansions, they have the Ferraris, but they don't have their health and they don't have their family. So I wrote that book specifically for that. Not that I'm God's gift to bodybuilding or anything, but this is what a human animal looks like when you take care of it uh, in natural rhythms. Yeah. So everything that I teach is, just like martial arts, replication of the basics. Hydration, nutrition, sleep, movement, breathing mechanics, you know, optimizing your thinking and your mental health. These things are just fundamental basics, and I have all the basic, simple, simple tools to go along with them, and that is my methodology. And we're killing it with the book right now. We launched during coronavirus. My business has quadrupled since wow. uh, coronavirus, which is great because selling natural medicine and holistic health has been an uphill battle for years and years and years, and, and now is. people are flooding yeah. for my social media. So yeah, it's good, beautiful. good news. Yeah, that is very good news. Wow. There's so many things that I want to pick out and, and speak on, but I, I'd love to just touch on this um, one thing because it's something that I'd never heard before uh, anyone say, which was I went and interviewed people, uh, different women that I was involved with to see if uh, they were willing to get married. And that's, that's honestly an action that I, that you don't hear very often. And I, I actually really love that. So I'd love you to speak on that for a moment. What, what, what sort of inspired this idea of, okay, I'm going to go through and interview these people and see if uh, they're in the same place as me so that we can progress um, with this life in that way. Uh, your intention there was, okay, I'm wanting to get married. I'm wanting to solidify this vision that I've had. So what was that like for you? And was that a different process to what you'd normally gone about when it came to love? Yeah, because... You know, I'm like most people. I don't know exactly how it is in New Zealand, but mm. the Western world, you know, programs us a certain way. And yeah. Whether it's Prince Charming and Disney or, you know, whatever little fantasy we have in our world, but the reality is often different than the fantasy that's propagated through, through the media. That. So mm. for me, for, for me, I, um, so I'd like to back up a little bit because I know that you, you specialize in mental health and I think intention is, is everything. Mm. And I, I wasn't really aware of intention setting, but I told people I'm going to Peru on a spiritual journey. I'm going to drink ayahuasca. I'm going to go to Machu Picchu. And they said, before you touch down, all my spiritual advisors were like, before you touch down, set your intention. So my intention before I uh, sat down on the airplane was to connect with the divine feminine in all of its facets and open up my heart. Mm. And, you know, it's, it's, watch what you pray for, you know, because sure enough, I went down there and I met some women down there. The Peruvian women were, were beautiful and nice, and um, uh, that was nice. But what really inspired me was, especially in the Amazon, how open and sensual people were, man or woman. And then the other aspect was, that the children, especially like the Indian moms, they would sell their textiles and the children would just comb the street and either beg for food or they weren't real like, um, you know, problematic beggars. They were so cute 
And all they wanted to do was just kind of hang out with you. And I had wow. never, I was, four, I was 40 or 39 at the time, and I had never had a young little girl. I didn't have cousins or nephews. I never had a small child, you know, eat dinner with me. Or, you wow. know, we were on the Malikon, which is the, 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 the river way, and there were some, there were some cafes and restaurants. And I just thought that the little girls were so darling, and I'd never had that experience. And of course, when I went out to the shamanic healing center, there, there were little Indian girls out there, and they were just so darling. And, uh, and so uh, that was a huge experience. So when I came home, you know, L.A. is pretty, you know, people are pretty driven for their careers, yeah, uh, entertainment careers, that. modeling. And so a few of the girls I had, you know, they're like, no way, you know, I'm focused on my career, or I just got out of a relationship. Um, and then a girl that uh, I was interested in, but we didn't really have a, a, a big bond, I started connecting with her a little bit deeper. And actually, I didn't believe in marriage. Uh, and because I, saw, I watched both my parents get divorced, I right. saw it as a piece of paper and a document. I don't need to go before the state or anyone else to profess my love to anyone else. So I didn't even really believe in it. And so what happened was... Uh, my wife was a Korean, na <coughs> Korean national. She came <coughs> to the United States. She studied at Parsons, which is a New York City art school. It's one of the most famous ones uh, around. She went there to study fine art. She came out with a degree in fashion design. And uh, since 9-11, she had problems with her visa. And she was working in the Korean Mart in downtown L.A. Uh, and she was crushing it in business, but she couldn't leave the country unless she was going to get some kind of repercussions. They were you know, more on the visas at the time. Right. So I said, ah, I'm an American. You know, I've known other people to marry Canadians or whatever. I was like, I'll, I'll marry you, no problem. <laughs> and then we started getting closer and closer. And, you know, I, I asked her if she wanted to have children. And, uh, and she said, yeah. And I said, great, wow. well, I'm coming in you right now. <laughs> and we conceived my son that <laughs> night. Wow. Wow. So... Uh, yeah, so that's what happened, and then I had to understand, because they don't teach you about marriage, they don't teach you about the covenant of family, and I had to have other mentors and leaders who've, who've been through divorces, or went through hell, or had their marriages, or children, or family fall apart, to learn you know, from these elders. The elders are missing in our society. So, you know, I just reluctantly did it, and I didn't know who I was as a man, you know, and the marriage taught me so much, and the divorce actually taught me more. It's family first. I'm here to provide and protect my family by any means necessary. Or, you know, mm. obviously, you know, I, I'm not a complete revolutionary or anything like that. We're not in that state right now. But I'm here to take care of my family, plain and simple. And I capitulated a lot to, you know, west side of Los Angeles is all this kind of spiritual, hippy-dippy-doo, a lot of bliss bunnies and stuff, and it's all about the divine feminine, which is great. I think we need to balance the divine masculine and divine feminine, but we don't need to defer to the feminine. And I got caught up in that. And so I allowed my wife to make decisions inside of my business. I, I capitulated to the whole idea of it, thinking she's a good business person, but I, I subjugated my own internal north. And what happened was... It just chipped away at my relationship and my ability to chase paper or make money. And so uh, the divorce really set me on my own path. And I go, I'm going to figure this out. Actually, my intention was not to put my family back together. I just realized 
I got to be in relationship with this woman no matter what. So peace and harmony is my intention and prayer for that. We ended up getting back together, but actually she started drinking ayahuasca a year into our divorce. And she did, she thought she was an angel and she had no issues. And so lo and behold, the ayahuasca does the heavy lifting. And she came back to me and apologized, you know, for her way of being and the way she was showing up in the relationship. And then we started working on the book and we just got closer and closer together. Then we eventually went to um, Costa Rica at an ayahuasca, high-end five-star ayahuasca center, breath work, four, two nights of breath work and four nights of ayahuasca. And I was doing a media, uh, it was a job I was down there. So I brought her down with that with no intention of getting married, but definitely discussing it while we're wide open on this medicine. And I saw a marriage ceremony available on, on the... Uh, on the menu and we were getting along and I'm just like, I got to be with this woman no matter what. And I'm off pornography now. And so, and she's a good woman. And, and I dated a whole bunch of women after we got divorced. And as soon as you have sex with women, you get, you get all their emotional body. So I'm like, there's no free lunch. I went celibate. So I went (laughs) celibate for the six months before my wife and I got back Mm. together. And so, and now that I'm off pornography, I'm loving the one I'm with. I'm dedicated to that. I'm not looking for anything else around the corner. I'm willing to make this work. I'm here to protect her. I'm here to kick ass in business and protect my family. And it just helped me really get my nuts in check, if you will. Mm, Literally. (laughs) Yeah, I love that, man. Thank you for sharing that. And I know you've mentioned pornography and fapping as well. You did a whole year of no fapping. Uh, So this this is a very beautiful process for men to actually turn into and I feel like there's a lot of lessons to be learned through that so I'd love you to share what lessons did you learn when you stepped away from pornography and when you stepped away from fapping as well during that time frame yeah well you know I've had a little bit of a practice of sexual kung fu or tantra which is really just awareness around your own energy centers your genitalia the power of sex and how to actually do it. I suffered from premature ejaculation for all of my adult life. I didn't know what that, just like marriage, I didn't know what the hell I was doing yeah. with sex and sexuality. Yeah. You, don't, you don't really get taught that. Yeah. So I studied Montauk Chia's stuff, and when I got together with my wife, she wasn't ready for any of that stuff. Right. We had trouble in our marriage in 2015, and she started studying with Montauk Chia. So uh, understanding the sexuality was there, and I knew porn you know, wasn't my optimal choice, and I would, you know, vacillate off of it and use it. It wasn't like I was fully addicted, you know, it wasn't like it was problematic. I would just rub one out whenever I needed to. And what does that do to your relationship? You know, you basically, you don't have to be Mr. Nice Guy. You don't have to tend to your wife's needs because Mm. sexually, you just need to, you know, rub one out. And then, and the internet doesn't talk back. So instantly, you know, I noticed that I was much more creative and, uh, and also because I wasn't fapping, you know, I had more energy wow. and that's what I got into it. That's what I do with all my fasting and cycling off caffeine or whatever I'm doing to optimize my experience or to test my own edge. If you will, I go off any addictive element, including social media. I've done that as well. And so with the, with, the, with the NoFap and the no pornography, what I realized is there's these subliminal external forces 
that are working with me. And when you take those out of the equation, you get more creative, not only uh, sexually, but also emotionally and spiritually. Um, and I'm only a year and a half into it, mm. you know, this dedicated practice. Um, my sexual Kung Fu is getting better. My relationship is much better. I don't know if we got remarried and I was still watching pornography that it would have worked out. Wow. Honestly. Okay. So I think it warrants a lot of uh, investigation, especially if men are looking to become the strongest versions of themselves and optimize. I love that you said that. It's something that uh, I also found when I shifted from pornography as well. And uh, when, it, when I was, I was actually quite addicted, man. Um, there was definitely a time when uh, it's honestly this, this feeling would come over me during the day of like, oh, even though I feel lonely, even though I feel crap, I've still got this pornography at the end of the day. And man, that um, didn't just skew my relationships, it skewed sex for me. Uh, skewed my emotional well-being and it, it made me reliant on this idea of like this uh, outlet almost which was obviously toxic so yeah I'm, I'm so glad that you spoke on that about how it has absolutely you said it beautifully is it's allowed me to become a much more profound version of myself um, and I definitely definitely have more energy because of it so speaking of energy I know that you practice a lot of breath work and you've done, done that for a while as, as well as utilizing ice baths. So can you please speak on those two aspects as to when you started to practice them, as I know there was sort of like a, a, a long trail of slow introduction of breathing and eventually that escalated. So when did that get introduced? When did it start having a massive impact and why is it so powerful? I think the first time I started studying uh, breathing mechanics uh, and understanding the breath mm. more was with Paul Czech and studying at the Czech Institute. Uh, and of course, Paul is, you know, the world's, he trains the world's trainers. Uh, he actually uh, worked with the All Blacks and did wow. strength training programs with, with them and the Bulls in the early 90s. Wow. Uh, I think the story told with the All Blacks was their injury roster was like 47 injuries or, you know, which would affect their outcome and, and their record. And I think he ended up reducing them down to like two injuries Whoa. for the season. And, um, you know, his thing was the Swiss balls. So he did commercials for the Swiss balls in New Zealand and Australia and then would do seminars. I think Swiss ball uh, sponsored him in Australia and New Zealand. And, um, and then from there, you know, uh, really built his career. Um, and now, and now he's world famous. He's been, you know, um, yeah, he's been everywhere, especially because of the internet. So, so my point is, is, is that you know, breathing, you know, he has it all the way back down. If an athlete or a human being is injured, he will take them back to infant development and spinal development and mm. do certain exercises that you may have not done neurologically when you were developing, or maybe you were in the womb and you were traumatized. And actually, you'd be surprised at how many people have these difficulties. It's, some of these exercises are like doing the inchworm, like pulling your whole body up on a mat with the top of your head. So you're basically like a baby, you wow. know, and the baby actually uses their limbs and their head to actually move. And so there's certain infant development modes. So that was the first part of really understanding mechanics, biomechanics, breathing mechanics, how the whole body, the physiology, the neurology functions with the biology and, 
and and how you don't want to load up a faulty motor recruitment because you can throw out your shoulder or your back or etc. So breathing was on. Uh, I started studying Paul's materials in 2011. Uh, I would say by 2015, I had black mold exposure. 2010 to 2013, so unwinding that was very interesting, especially when I was an exhausted brand new parent, new father, and I just thought I was exhausted just from taking care of the kids and being up all night wow. type of thing. But I had black mold, so I had to recover from that. So we, when we finally assessed the situation, moved out, and started to recover, I noticed that I was neck breathing and mouth breathing. Um, and so... I was mostly on my bicycle at the time, so I started paying attention to my breath, and I realized I wasn't breathing fully. So I started my practice of breathing into my abdominal wall and into my, into my pelvic floor, and then I, I made a commitment to myself to do uh, 15 breaths in the shower in the morning when I woke up. Mm. And, and I noticed instantly it was difficult. And I'm like, wait a second, I'm athletic, I'm healthy, What's this? And then I breathed through that. And then a couple months later, one of my friends who cured himself of testicular cancer, he went to the Himalayas and studied with this breathwork coach. And he came to one of my seminars, taught me something very simple, and I loved it. And then he came over and did a bunch of holotropic with me. And from that point on, I realized, because I was almost divorced at that time and I was going through hell in my relationship and what I instantly realized was the anxiety was alleviated after 30 or 60 or 90 breaths Whoa. and so I did the holotropic which is an hour of cyclical breathing yeah. and then you go kind of through emotional catharsis or rebirthing so I did like four sessions of that but every morning I was sleeping on my couch living in my own home sleeping on my couch woman won't have sex with me totally angry at me you know I couldn't do anything right and I would wake up in the morning, like 4 a.m., just with anxiety. I instantly started breathing and got results. So wow. that's kind of where my breathing journey kind of originated. And then once I realized that I could be in control of my own mind and, and body chemistry through breath work, then I just, I just upped the game and I just kept breathing. And uh, when did ice baths come in? Before we go into oh, ice baths, actually, do you mind if yeah. I just ask a little bit more about the breathing? So you mentioned that you went from mouth and neck breathing down to actually breathing through the abdominal wall. So how does one progress into that? And what are the benefits of actually breathing lower on the belly than, um, than through uh, the mouth and neck? Well, your panic receptors are in the neck. Right. So if you have your mouth open, just think about fight or flight. Mm. If you're running... A lot of people breathe through their mouth. Yeah. I'm actually working on my training. My training right now, I'm living in the desert in the mountains in Sedona. And my Beautiful. training right now is to keep my mouth shut and just no matter how big the hill is or how hot it is, yeah. breathe from my nose. And wow. I'm getting tremendous results just in a small amount of time. So, uh, so the mouth breathing and the neck breathing puts you into a sympathetic state, a fight or flight state, elevated cortisol. Mm. And the... Belly breaths put you into a parasympathetic state. So if you can train your biomechanics, your breathing mechanics to belly breathe, you're going to be in a much more zen state at all times. So, and this is kind of a lifelong process because we don't live in the wild. Remember the animal that we are used to live in the wild and deal with stuff. Cold water, you know, cold wind, rain, 
climbing up trees, running up mountains. And we didn't work all the time. We just did, the men did intense work for a certain hour period of time. And then, you know, it was more like, uh, um, you know, sprinting and running and jumping. You know, our mechanics were all optimized for what we had to do in society. Mm. Now we're sitting at desks, hip flexors shut down, psoas shut down, you know, lower back pain, upper, you know, we're, we're not flowing freely. We're, we're a little domesticated, and mm. that's messed things up. And something as so simple as breathing mechanics, think about it. Your spine flexes and your rib cage opens up each and every breath. Your body's oscillating at each and every breath. And if we take that out, just imagine and just go out and watch people walk in the street. You see that people's mechanics are all off. And so, and the reason I put myself on the cover and ripped at 50 is because I study with other holistic health practitioners and the majority of Czech practitioners is the body that looks like a gorilla in the wild. It looks like a svelte lion. It doesn't look like a zoo animal. It looks like something in the wild when you apply these basic biological, physiological, and psychological elements um, you know, to, to our life. And so, and breathing is at the cornerstone. It's the, it's the first form of nutrition next to the sun. Yeah. So if it's not optimized, then you're not getting nourished properly. Yeah, I, I get that completely. I mean, breath definitely keeps us alive. And there's absolutely such a shift in the chemistry within the body when there's a shift in the balance of oxygen and carbon dioxide. And you can, of, of course, uh, shift that through the way you breathe and how much breath that's taken in. So uh, as you sort of progressed through uh, the breathing and honestly, um, listening to uh, some of the content that you put on Instagram, I've honestly learned a lot more about breathing and, um, and the benefits and uh, the different techniques that are applied. So uh, I'd love you to even share where someone could learn a bit more about uh, breathing and getting deeper into their breathwork journey. Uh, where could they actually learn that from you? Is there somewhere specific um, that you'd like to send them? Yeah, if you go to the link in my bio and my Instagram or most of my YouTube uh, new my newer YouTube videos. Mm. I made a course called Breath is Life. It goes through all the mechanics. It's a step-by-step program uh, awareness, and then it goes through exercises. Um, and and so Breath is Life. I think it's breathislife.com. Um, and uh, or just go to the link in my bio or the description box of my YouTube channel. But the the reason I developed that, and it's nominally priced. I think it's a online course for. I think my marketing team sells it for like 50 bucks or $47 or something like that. It's very mm. low priced and people are, um, they, they love their experience. So, uh, and, the, and let's just say the opposite of uh, optimal cellular uh, or op- optimal breathing mechanics is poor cellular respiration. So mm. the cells at the mitochondrial level, um, they need oxygen so that they can take in nourishment and expel the waste. And when that is uh, imbalanced, when the cells aren't getting oxygen enough, that's premature aging, cellulite, uh, back pain. You know, the the list of ailments goes on and on. So look no further than optimizing your breathing mechanics uh, if you want to alleviate your pain, emotional pain or physical pain. Yeah, and I definitely noticed for myself as well when I did start to step deeper into breath work 
uh, into yeah, optimizing my breathing mechanics, there was a deeper sense of mental clarity. There was a deeper sense of relaxation and my capability of stepping into that parasympathetic rest and digest state and away from that fight or flight sympathetic state. I, I felt much more in control of that because by utilizing the breath, I was able to shift that. So I feel like it's such an important factor for people to start to really uh, optimize and benefit from. And those listening, I'd highly encourage you to actually go and uh, have a look at the content that Troy provides. I'll put the link in the uh, in the show notes below so that you can go and find uh, this with nice um, with a lot of ease and uh, go tune in. And Troy's uh, done a lot of um, examples yeah, on his YouTube, on his Instagram, which is where I originally found it. And you can learn a lot there as well. So uh, when it comes to uh, ice baths and cold, I know that you mentioned uh, it was something that we were actually exposed to as the animal that we are. And it's something that we've obviously come away from due to the desperation for comfort. There's like this requisite for comfort and discomfort is almost like the enemy in society today. So because people are coming away from that discomfort, there's almost this like increase in inflammation and inflammation is a biomarker for depression and anxiety. So they're almost coming away from these things that are actually going to help them with the anxiety and the depression. So I'd love you to speak on cold as to what the real benefits are, um, how one can optimize this, uh, maybe through cold showers or actually attending an ice bath session uh, and how one can really yeah, utilize this in a beneficial way. Yeah, um, well, first and foremost, I think uh, it's, it's, it's good to note that we've just been a little domesticated. Now, I, I don't think that there's, I don't believe in victim consciousness, so it's not like we're victims, it's just yeah. that Manifest Destiny came along, we decided we wanted to climb up the mountain and create civilization and society as we've done, and in its wake, we've put four walls around us, some air conditioning units, some heating units. Uh, we made cars, uh, chairs. We, you know, we used to squat, literally. Yeah. We used to squat. And so, you know, being domesticated and comfortable, that's understandable. There's no insects anymore. There's, you know, the animals basically, we've eliminated all of our kind of existential threats. Mm. Um, and in its wake, and again, not bad or good, it's always about optimization, but in its wake, we have become a little bit domesticated. We shut down our natural instincts. We shut down our thermoregulatory system, which is attached to the immune system, which is attached to the nervous system, which is attached to the endocrine system because you can't isolate any one system inside the body. Mm. So if you don't have a thermoregulatory system, you know, that is one thing that, that, that helps to manage and mitigate uh, stress. Thermo, uh, I, I have the seven factors of stress in my book and in my stress management course. But uh, there's seven factors of stress. Stress summates in the body, meaning it accumulates. And if you don't have a way to off-gas that stress, it accumulates in the body. It, it, uh, uh, cortisol is released from the stress response. Elevated chronic cortisol breaks the body down. It actually causes disease. And so we need to balance our stress. And stress stimulus helps us grow. So it's about balance. It's not stress is good or bad. It's about balance yeah. and recognizing the stress responses and recognizing where the inputs are coming from. And thermal stress is one of them. Is it too hot? Like I'm living in the desert right now. Is it too hot or is it too cold? It's nice when it's hot out, but I thought I'd like 
to be out all, all day when I first came to the desert, Phoenix, and it was 107 degrees out. And I thought I'd sit outside all day because that's what I like to do. And after about five minutes, I got a headache. There was no vapor in my body. There was no, it was like I, the vapor had been sucked out of my whole body. I couldn't handle oh. it because I was extremely stressed out. So, and I'm acclimating myself now that I just moved to Arizona and I don't know if I'll be able to be out in the heat of the dead day, dead day sun, but I'm training myself to run in it. And I'm also seeking out water sources and trees. And so I can be outside all day uh, if I wish. But it's definitely a challenge. And guess what? Here's a newsflash. We used to be outside every day. We never, you know, air conditioning and heating, these are, besides fires, you know, air conditioning is only 75 years old maximum. Mm. So, um, again, not bad or good, but we kind of turned off our internal instincts right. and our, own, our body's own healing mechanisms. And so now if the thermostat does all that for us, the body, you know, atrophies. Um, and you see this in, you know, other aspects that we don't use, um, um, you know, our body in its proper way. Um, and I do want to add as an addendum to the breathing mechanics you can get a lot out of your own breathing just from running or lifting weights and, you know, working your best to keep your, no your mouth shut while you're exercising. Yeah, I like that. Uh, those ones will work on your breathing mechanics too. So you don't need to totally get into yoga. You can walk up a mountain. If you want to see how good your, your breathing mechanics are, go walk up a mountain. <laughs> With a bit of tape across the mouth, right? <laughs> I mean, you don't need to go that far, of course, but yeah. Yeah, I I, um, I actually love that. It's something that I was um, practicing quite recently is going for a run and just breathing through the nose. And it is so hard <laughs> initially to actually incorporate, even though same as what you just said before, I feel like I'm quite athletic yet the moment that I switched my breathing mechanics to something that's actually going to optimize uh, my system in, in the most beneficial way, it's almost like the body struggled uh, just simply because I'm not, I haven't adjusted to that process uh, as fully so it's definitely something that I'm utilizing a lot more and I definitely notice uh, I notice almost like these doms on my, on the, in my lungs when I do that um, which is of course weird but absolutely fantastic and it definitely shows that uh, something um, beautiful is happening there so when it comes to the well, oh, I, yeah, I, I, carry on, sorry. Karen I, 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 I tell people if they know the, the yoga the unjai breathing and try and scrape it across the back of your throat. So, yeah, because that'll get stuff out of your esophagus, and it'll also optimize your uh, nasal holes in your throat. Mm. So, and if you and, and for all of the listeners and you yourself as well, James Nestor was just interviewed by Joe Rogan a, a couple weeks ago right. on breathing, and he wrote a book on it. And he is the tape your mouth shut guy and the nose breather guy. And I learned a lot from that. And when I learn from people, it's like, okay, what's the technique? All right, let me, let me go test it. Because if I can't do it or if it's too hard of a concept, then it won't get done and it doesn't have any you know, ballast in, in reality. And so, so I instantly just hiked up the hill. It was difficult in the beginning, but what I noticed is when I get up to the hill, I'm not yeah. and huffing and puffing. It was weird, man. It, it, and all I had to do is really just focus on just and just all the way up the hill, man. Mm. And I had to keep reminding myself to keep my mouth, 
But as soon as I got up there, I wasn't huffing and puffing. I was wow. like, whoa. It's exactly what he said about these Ethiopian marathon runners and, and other people he researched. Mm. And, um, and I believe the Unjai breath is, is spelled, I'm just, just checking um, just so people can sort of find it, is U, uh, U-J-J-A-Y-I. Is that right? Uh, I think so. Yeah. So Unjai. Yeah, something like that. And um, so people can actually have a look at that breath so they can start to incorporate it in that way. And yeah, that sort of feeling of scraping the breath across the back of the throat, like Troy said, I find that even when I push the tongue, my tongue to the roof of my mouth as well, it sort of helps me stimulate that in a more profound way. Uh, and I definitely mm-hmm. notice, yeah, I feel much more relaxed as well when I'm utilizing that breath. And yeah, of course, there's you know, numerous benefits, as Troy mentioned. Uh, yeah, there's, there's definitely uh, a lot of benefits that cross over to mental well-being, uh, to the sense of more calm over anxiety. Uh, now, w- when you talked about the cold earlier, I'd love you to, uh, if, if you're open to it, even just sharing a, um, a quick tip around whether people should maybe have cold showers first thing in the morning, um, also in the evening as well, if you think, or you know, how long. Um, what's your recommendation around that? Yeah, so... Uh... Paul Check again, was the guy who turned me on to cold showers, and that was 2011. So I'd been doing cold showers since then, um, and uh, actually a healer, Robert Tennyson Stevens, he teaches conscious language. He did an iris reading on me. This guy was a wizard, man, not only on wordsmithing and word magic, but he could uh, read your history from your eyes, and he knew conscious body language as well. And he told me, he did a reading for me. I think I paid 500 bucks for it, too. Oh, wow. he, read, he read all the problems in my eyes. And for some reason, he prescribed me cold water on my abdomen, like after a warm shower. And I thought, oh. eh, that's interesting. And then I tried it, and I was like, that's fucking cold, man. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, what kind of shit is that? And that was like in 2010. It wasn't until about a year later that I study with Paul and Paul was like, look, most people are inflamed because all the inflammatory agents as far as pollution and food, but most people are inflamed to the hilt Hmm. first place. Men, they carry a lot of yang and fire energy in their balls. If they're looking for fertility and uh, sexual, you know, uh, uh, ability and vascular impingements and all that stuff, get some cold water on your nuts, get some cold water on your body uh, it's going to improve your sex life. Get that it's shrinkage, gonna people. Improve your circulation. <laughs> yeah, I mean the shrinkage is there, but after a while, the circulation comes exactly, back, and yeah. then you got more chi. Mm. You got more chi flow, and so I got results from that. It was still a little brutal, and then I kept doing it, but then worked for cold only. Uh, uh. And then because I had the autoimmune black mold exposure thing, my system was so stressed out that uh, I really had to watch the cold exposure because it is a stress stimulus. So, um, so I vacillated between you know, cold and hot. And then my friend, Dr. Harhari Khalsa, he ended up getting an ice bath, I want to say in like 2016 or 17. And he has his office in Yogi Bhajan's library. Yogi Bhajan's the one who brought Kundalini Yoga to the United States. And... Uh, Yogi Bhajan said, ice is my guru. So here is one of the top yoga gurus of planet Earth saying that ice is my guru. So I took heed to that. 
And then he had the first ice chest, which was just a freezer uh, with water in it as opposed to food. And uh, climbed into that, did my three minutes, and I was like, yeah, it's not that bad. And then I started to film it, and then people loved it. And so the filming, to be honest, is really what got me in there. You know, mm -hmm. stage fright or, you know, performance anxiety. And I was like, fuck it, I'll, I'll go in there and zen out, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and so really filming it and doing it is really what got me on the track. And then, you know, all my friends started having them. We started doing men's groups. I bought a few freezers for the men's groups. Uh, and then my my friend had them in his backyard, so I was doing them almost daily and filming them almost daily. And uh, and now I moved to the desert. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to have to buy an ice chest or because uh, <laughs> the water, the cold showers are just not that cold here. Yeah. So, uh, but we do have a stream with snow melt, and you know it's about 55 degrees juxtaposed to 100 degrees. Mm. So it's a good enough chilly dip that I can still get my cold medicine. Um, but I'll probably have to wait till winter to get the, uh, get the ice going again. But, but that's cool. Cause I still have performance anxiety. And if there's a frozen lake, I will smash it through <laughs> and go sit in it for three minutes for the world to see. Love that. <laughs> I love that. And yeah, if that's what it takes. I chuck a camera on and just go for it. <laughs> yeah. No, great. Um, so as we sort of bring this episode to a, a close, before we do, I'd love to actually go to a time when things got quite dark for you, a time, a time when things got quite difficult. What were two or three things that you started to shift in your life in those moments that allowed you to start to break through that darkness so you could step into the light? Hmm. Well, let me see. What was... Uh... Okay, ask that question again, because yeah. I think I got it. Okay, but... so uh, if you think back to uh, a dark moment in your life, what were two or three things that you shifted or changed or started to do in those moments that allowed you to start to break through? So I, I put some of these stories in, 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 in the book, mm. and uh, in, in 2000. In 2016, um, I went out with some gentlemen who were doing bigger business than me and wanted to rub elbow. I was invited to, to a dinner. and oh. I don't go out in Hollywood for many years. I'm married now. I, I don't party anymore, but at the time, I, was, I didn't have problems with alcohol anymore, so every once in a while, I would go out and have a glass of wine and, and uh, uh, with a meal if it was organic. And and then that opened up the door for every year and a half or so, I would tie one on. And so guys invited me out. I wanted to do some bigger business. And I went out to hang out with them, see what they were up to. We started drinking whiskey and smoking cigars. And uh, I got a DUI. And it was the worst thing that happened to wow. me and the best thing that happened to me. Why? Because it brought me to my knees. Wow. And I was lucky because I wasn't, wrapped up into the addiction side of substance at the time. Uh, it was easy for me to just go off of it. That wasn't the issue. What the issue was, was me replicating my problems, you know, um, not growing from that. Um, and then it brought me to my knees. So it, having a family and getting a DUI that costs like $15,000 and all sorts of other stressors, I'm just like, 
you know, I'm a 50 year old man now, and obviously this is not serving me. So, so what it helped me do usually when something traumatic, breakup, relationship, etc., I usually get into fasting. Fasting is one of the easiest ways to go within, um, and there's no external inputs, Why so is that? minimal. And well, to go without is to go within. You you're mm. you're not. Uh, putting things in your orifice as much, you know, you're not, you know, killing your pain with sugar or food or yeah, I get over It's like, you got nothing, you got nothing no else. Vices. You don't, mm. okay. You got, you got some water. How about water? So I just totally cleaned up, fasted, uh, probably, I think I might've went off caffeine at the time as well. And I found an AA meeting that was pure meditation, which is good because some of the philosophy and the old timers in AA, it just gets, it, it, they crawl up into your business. It just gets weird fast. And so I went in there and started sitting. I, a group of people, 7 a.m. in the morning. Um, and I had gotten away from my meditation practice. So this got me deep right back into my meditation practice, myself. I started doing much more internal work. Who am I bullshitting? You know, you think you've advanced spiritually. You think you've advanced on some level or another. But here you are right back here with this, you know, square one disaster. And so it was the worst thing that happened to me. And it was the best thing that happened wow. to me. It was one of the catalysts that happened in my divorce, but it was the one thing that, okay, alcohol is not a choice for me at 50 years old with all these responsibilities and business and one night out drinking, I can ruin my life. Okay. That's clear. So that went off the table. Yeah, I got imagine. very clear on that. It helped me get clear on my family family first and how much I adore my family and how much, how important they are. Um, it helped me get back into my spiritual life, not bullshit myself, which is my biggest fear, you know, on any level, there's more work to be done, Troy. Um, and it just made me dig deeper into my own spiritual life. And, and, and also I, my money game wasn't completely on point and I was trying to upgrade and, you know, hang out with guys that made more money than me and the whole thing. And uh, it really helped me uh, surrender to my money issues because I, I don't have a problem with action. I am a worker bee. I have a work ethic. I'll, you know, I'm, 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 a, I'm, a, I'm the goat, man. I'm, I'm a Capricorn. I will climb that. I'll get to the top no matter what. Mm. So I had to let go of a ton of shit, and that comes down to surrender. And if anybody has done any spiritual work, surrender is kind of the thing that you overlook. It has to deal with faith. It has to do with trusting in God. It had to do with, you know, obviously my methodologies aren't working. My overthinking, mental, like manifest destiny thing, I had to let some of that shit go. And what that ended up doing was allowed God into my life much more and allowed God to lead me. Um, and I don't like to use the word God because it can spin people off on this idea or that idea or this religion or that religion. And that's not what it's about. It, for me, it was just uh, flow, the way. Call God the way mm. or the flow or harmony. I don't care what you call it, but I, I was like, okay, my mental constructs are not taking me to the finish line. So there's something I got to let go of. And my mental structure and overanalyzing and overthinking everything was ruining, you know, the flow. 
And so when I finally realized to let go, it was a catalyst that brought me to surrender. So Wow. So it's, a surrender sounds like there was such, played such a key role uh, within that. So uh, I'm, I'm, I've had a very similar experience with this idea of uh, surrendering to faith. And faith, uh, just like you said, it can re- represent God, it can represent universe, it can represent uh, just about anything really uh, that's a higher power. Uh, but the idea that um, I've got to have faith that when I uh, get out, go outside, I'm not going to be shot or stabbed. When I get in the car, I'm not going. Someone's not going to crash into me. I've got to still have faith for that. So it's just about stepping it up and turning it up another notch, and actually having faith that, wow, even though I might be going through shit, I might be going through darkness. Uh, just surrendering that experience, surrendering the fact that. I, if I keep fighting it, I'm actually pulling myself down even further and just surrendering uh, the way things are or to the way things are essentially uh, and, and stepping into faith. So that process, that's not an easy process. That's honestly one of the hardest things to do. It's like, <laughs> I don't want this to happen at all. Yet something, somehow I've got to surrender to it. How does one do that, Troy? How does one step into surrender? <laughs> Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah. a big one. <laughs> if I, if it was a cookie cutter, I'd just I'd be selling them on the street corner. Yeah. But, <laughs> well, I think I I think it, you know it's it's part of a process of awareness. Some people have hmm. you know religious training in this realm and, and have that component. I would say for me, I I would say the doorway and the catalyst that really helped provide the atmosphere for that was first and foremost gratitude. Um, my brother studied Tony Robbins about 30 years ago, you know, had troubles with addiction early on, and then studied all the Tony Robbins stuff, and um, had, you know, he's had success for 30 years in his life and business. And when I went through the DUI, I told him, and uh, he, he, he gave me that tip, the gratitude journal, and he said, just focus on your business, Focus is what creates reality, which is in alignment with, with alchemy and magic, and I realized that already. So I was like, okay, and I heard about the gratitude journal, and I think I'm gra- grateful, but let me tell you, until you do it, until you write three simple things that you're grateful for every morning and every night, and you do that for a minimum of 90 days, I think I did six months religiously for two days, and I did a year and a half, uh, uh, two times a day, and then I did a year and a half uh, of gratitude journal, you know, daily, um, um, total. And so, and, and, and that opened up the door of, okay, I'm grateful for my fingers and my lips and the food on my table and, and I have a car and I'm grateful for all the simple things. And then the things, the other things that I wanted in my life, they started to come even more. And so gratitude is kind of the doorway. And then you can wish and you can have the law of attraction and all these other things but then you have to have your action, and then you have to have the faith. And I read The Science of Getting Rich, which is a spiritual document from 1910, Wallace Waddles. Um, and faith is the secret ingredient. It's the final ingredient. You've got to work in a certain way. You've got to get your mind right in a certain way. But faith is the overlooked ingredient. And actually, it took some other elders and some sober guys that had told me about their own money struggles. Actually, just doing my own men's group. I was on my own men's group, my own men's retreat, working with some of my, my partners and, and, and the gentlemen that, that, that came on the retreat. And when I do my men's work or when I do any of my work on retreats and, or healing stuff, 
I put myself on the chopping block. I'm no different from anybody else. And I broke down and I said, look, guys, I, I, I'm 51 or whatever I was at the time, 52. My wife's giving me a hard time. I'm losing my family. And I just haven't figured out this fucking money piece. Fucking mm. God damn it. I was like, and I was crying in front of all these men. And, and two of the guys, the old, they were older than me too. And they had been through it. And they both spoke of surrender. And I was just like, all right, fuck it, man. I don't know shit. <laughs> and I was like, okay, that's it. All right, I surrender. I don't know shit. Let me just give up. Because I already know my work ethic is solid. Mm. And I, I just said, all right, fuck it. And I looked up and I said, look, I don't know. And obviously, you know, there's got to be an energy that's greater than me that knows. And however it played out, it was just a, a state of surrender. Even if it was just a basic intention and I didn't follow through with it or pray on it every day, that was my intention was to s surrender and have faith. And then things started to move in miraculous directions. You know, providence started to move through me because that was my clear intention. And, uh, and I, I implemented it with some form of practice. And my meditation game got really good from 2016 to 2018 because of my troubles in my marriage, because of that, that meditation meeting that was in my neighborhood. Um, and, and then I started upping my meditation game uh, at my house, too. Mm. And I'm sitting on my meditation pillow that I've, I've had for 20 years and the little blanket that goes with it. And... Uh, you know, it's such a tool, and I always want to get back to it more and more, but, you know, life consumes you. You get on a fast track to not doing it, <laughs> yeah. and then next thing you know, you got to implement. So don't wait for a crisis for, you know, stuff to happen, but if you're going through a crisis, uh, accept it and be grateful for it, because the ups and downs, the vicissitudes of life are normal, so just take it as a learning lesson. Oh, We're either living or learning, my, me my mentors taught me. It's juicy man so what, what i really caught um picked up was gratitude is such a key piece uh to surrender uh there's this concept of stepping into meditation meditativeness so that surrender becomes a little bit more easeful so that because once only once that surrender starts to occur can those forward strikes start to happen right uh and i know for myself it's it's a practice right it's something that's incremental it's not something that um a lot of the time it's very hard to just drop it um, although it, it's definitely possible, but sometimes it takes practice to get to that point, right? Of just practicing surrender, 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 surrender <laughs> as a repetitive thing. Uh, and at the end of the day, just like physical health, uh, consistency is what, um, what grows that muscle, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. And, le and let me just add this Please. too. I think part of the surrender is, Hey, giving yourself permission to not sit there and self beat up inside your mind mm. and help go to the beach instead. How about that? How about go to the beach? How about take a day off? How about, you know, uh, yeah, money worries are out there, or family worries are out there, but okay, you know, today I'm just going to feel better about everything. I love that. Or I'm not going to worry as much. Intention. You know, take a vacation from the mental torment that we put ourselves through and see what happens. Give yourself permission to put yourself first. Go for a walk first thing in the morning before you pick up your phone or, or talk to your kids or wife or get to work you know go take some time for yourself because what i've learned with meditation and clients is meditation's beautiful i've spent over 111 days in silence myself 
But that's a tough sell to the modern day person who's not eating right, not sleeping right, you know, has to go drive in traffic to work that they hate, blah, blah, blah. So meditation is a tough sell. But you know what? A walk is, is meditative. I teach Qigong, which is movement meditation. Yeah. You know, you can actually get your movement and your exercise and your meditation all done at once, especially if you're barefoot grounded into the earth with the sun above you and you have no uh, cell phone or anything on you. That's going to harmonize both sides of the brain because you're doing the natural cross-crawl the way the human being is supposed to move. And so you're going to harmonize the right and left hemispheres of the brain. You're going to be grounded to the earth. You're going to get all that ex uh, external electromagnetic radiation and pollution grounded out of your body, which is also going to give you energy uh, so that your energy can flow much more. So just something as simple as a barefoot walk can be a meditation. You don't have to think you've got to go to the Himalayas and study with the yogis to, to, to figure out your own harmonization and uh, rhythmic patterning for your own brainwaves. Mm, yeah, and yeah, meditation is a process. It's, um, it's a state, right? It's something that uh, doesn't need to be achieved through sitting under a tree and chanting Om or going to the Himalayas and studying with a master. It's, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's definitely a practiced state. And uh, Troy, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on. Honestly, I've, I, I've honestly picked up things myself and I know that um, many people listening in will get so much from this man. Really, thank you. Uh, and I'd love to actually ask where can they find you? Where's the main places they can find you? And uh, you said you're working on a book. When's that out? Oh, the book's out. Oh, In awesome. fact, you should have received you should have received the digital copy, and I'll make sure Curtis sends oh, you thank one. Thank you. But the book's out. Um, it has all the tips and tools for you to heal your life now and forever, mm -hmm. man, woman, or child, old or young, um, healthy or sick. Everyone needs to do the basic nine pillars of health that I cover in the book. And it's got very simple exercises. I, I didn't want to just put out another, you know, how-to health and fitness. Yeah. That's already been done. Paul Check already wrote the Bible to that. So I use my stories and my walk through hell or my walks through hell to help inspire people. And the basic fundamental tactics, hydration, nutrition, mm. sleep, movement, nature, relationships, and the tools to work around those so you can optimize your life. Simple. Most of the techniques are nature-based. They're free. You know, simple-based techniques to heal your body now and forever. Love that. Love that. And social media-wise, you can find Troy Certified Health Nut on Instagram. Uh, is there anywhere else you'd like to see them as well? Certified Health Nut YouTube, Certified Health Nut Instagram. I'm on Twitter, LinkedIn, everywhere. Mm. I'm on all mediums, but mainly on Instagram. The links in my bio have all my courses, including my book. Uh, RippedAt50book.com, TroyCasey.com. Those lead to my website. We're doing a lot of healing events here in uh, Sedona. So come to Sedona to heal. Um, we've got retreats. We've got breathwork retreats. We'll be doing fire and ice um, uh, workshops, men's workshops. And then, of course, my wife and I will be doing couples retreats. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. Thanks once again, man, for being on. This has been absolutely spectacular. For those uh, that want to find the uh, and connect with Troy and look at his website, check out his courses, check out his breathwork, all that stuff is going to be, all the links are going to be available in the show notes. So go down there, have a look, give him a follow. I guarantee you will not regret following this man and uh, learning from the fantastic things that he speaks on. 
Uh, also, Troy, um, as we're closing up, I know that you've been speaking a lot around uh, a lot of things that have been going on in terms of manipulation uh, as well in society. Uh, is, this, is that something that you'd like to touch on briefly as well, just before we close up? Uh, yeah, you know, look, there's a lot of things being... I worked in the Amazon rainforest, and what that taught me was how the world works. I read John Perkins' book, Confessions of an Economic Hitman. I understand geopolitics and economics and commerce at a much higher level than the average human being. And I was motivated to try and save the rainforest. And the rainforest, two-thirds of our uh, natural water and uh, a third of our oxygen gets produced. And mm. it, uh, uh, it's key for biodiversity, and biodiversity is super important. And the cure for AIDS and cancer is being mowed down at an alarming rate. So, uh, so I, I just think that Everything that's happening, because I've been calling forth, I studied the Mayan calendar, I walked the Incan temples, the Mayan temples, the stone temples that are there uh, for many years and studied with uh, elders that taught me. I've been calling forth a quantum leap in in consciousness. They built the pyramids. Nobody can explain them to this day. There's multiple sacred sites on this planet. In fact, if you go to my friend Martin Gray's website, sacredsites.com, there's megalithic stones that our technology today cannot lift. How did they get lifted? They're cut with like diamond cutters, especially Puma Pumku. Uh, So the bottom line is, is there is some powerful energies and civilizations that have existed on the face of this planet before, and they've had technology and energy or energy devices that can move these megalithic stones that we couldn't. So my question is, is how are these things done? And, uh, and if, they've done, if they've happened before, then we can bring greater solutions for this planet, especially free energy, harmonics, electrogravitics. Um, and um, I, I think I've been calling for the quantum leap in human consciousness because I saw the vision. Uh, and people in my lectures are like, what do you mean? The world's never going to change. We're never going to be off oil. We're not going to be off uh, petrodollar and central banking. You know, not for 50 years, not for 100 years. And what happened? I could feel it. I could sense it. I've been speaking about this for years. 2020 comes around. I go, Ooh, <laughs> something about this year, it's going to be the year. Yeah. I didn't know what was going to happen. I did my lectures, workshops in, in January, February. All of a sudden, March rolls around. And now we have a global lockdown. Yeah. And we've got all sorts of ideologies. Who owns the media that you watch? So, for example, Facebook and Twitter, these things are all uh, shadow banned, censored. As we know, these algorithms can be manipulated. So you get stuck in your little echo chamber of things you like and then the feedback loop for that. So understand how media works. Understand how the mind works. And don't take things laying down Mm. as far as what's happening in the world. Study history. Study Pol Pot, Mao Zedong, the killing fields, uh, Stalin, Mussolini. Understand that these totalitarian tiptoes have happened before. Understand divide and conquer. So when people start selling you ideologies of quote-unquote diseases, uh, viruses have been around a lot longer than than we have. There's Antoine Beauchamp that taught terrain theory versus uh, germ theory, which was sold to us through Louis Pasteur and the whole pharmaceutical industry. Understand history. Understand biology. Before you adopt 
some idea. Remember, most of your beliefs and your ideas are not your own. They've been programmed into you by the industrial age school system or the corporate-owned media. So before you start getting into fights with your brothers and sisters with race riots and Democrat, Republican, and sex, sexism wars and all this stuff, who's propagating this stuff? What is essential? The essential things that you need are hydration, nutrition. You need fire. You need food. You need shelter. Those are needs. Everything else is a want. Mm. So be very wary of the things that they are promoting. They're, if they were so for your health, why aren't uh, toxic ingredients outlawed? Why aren't herbicides and pesticides that uh, have an, a low-level long-term effect on your nervous system and endocrine system they're designed to take the nervous system and endocrine system out of pests, whether that's a weed or an insect. So low-level exposure affects you hormonally. It affects your neurological system. So if they're so interested in your health with this COVID virus thing, why haven't they outlawed the, the, very, the, the, the very poisons that are causing autism? They're causing autoimmune. Mm. Uh, so question reality is what I'm here to tell you. Question everything. Question authority. Question your reality always. And all knowledge is knowledge of self. All the ancient sages have said, know thyself, and then balance is the way. It's not yin or yang or bad or good. Ride the razor's edge. Stay balanced because the pendulum swings both ways. If this is so bad for you, for example, Let's just say, you know, total austerity is great, but the pendulum swings both ways. We live in a dualistic paradox. So, for example, total austerity from sex, from the Catholic Church and priesthood, etc. But what does that do? That creates absolute debauchery and dysfunction into, into child, you know, uh, 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 pedophilia and child uh, raping and all that stuff that rife in the, in the Catholic Church. So my point is, is the pendulum swings both ways. So stay balanced, and anything that's being propagated out of the media channels, remember, they are multinational conglomerates, and they are there to sell you political ideas and economic ideas. So either product or an ideology. So guard your thoughts, mm. because most of them are not your own. I love that, and that is so spot on, man. So spot on. Um, yeah, it's essentially a garbage bin of society's ideas, right? It's just tossing them in, I'm picking them up, and then I'm recycling them and using them for my own, right? It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely a uh, an awareness process. And uh, I know for myself, yeah, meditation's been a big uh, practice that's allowed me to start, even start to scratch the surface with that because it's such a big process. Uh, thank you once again, Troy, for um, being on and sharing your wisdom and uh, sharing your knowledge and your tools and uh, yeah once again guys yeah do go follow this man uh, you can um, also help us a lot to get these messages out to get these stories out uh, by sharing this podcast by if you feel that yeah this has helped you in any way to actually subscribe to rate to review and in doing so that actually allows us to get these messages out to more people so that we can help more people uh, really take strides with their mental health uh, because that's the goal of this podcast so thanks once again guys for tuning in you can find us on instagram at the pocket coach or coach keza uh, and running a healing community at the moment so if you head to 
uh, healingwithkids.com slash healing community link in uh, the description below and you can use the code IHEALME to join the healing community for a month free as well uh, with a whole healing library incorporated for tools and practices. So without further ado guys, much love and stay blessed.